Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. That night of the stroke, I felt so low on energy and I felt sick. So my husband was supposed to go out with uh, a couple of friends that night, but I felt so bad that I asked him to stay at home. And I was very glad that I did that because a few hours later that night, I was in the bathroom and I suddenly felt like a pop in my head. I somehow managed to get him in the living room and signaled to him that I needed something to write on because I thought if I can't speak, maybe I can write. So I managed to get something to, to write on and I wrote hospital on a piece of paper. They said, you're gonna be fine. At that moment, that meant that I was gonna survive and I was happy to hear that, but I didn't know exactly what that would mean for me after. Because one thing is surviving a stroke, another thing is living with the aftermath after a stroke. But at that point, I was just happy that I would survive it. I was sent to, to the stroke unit at the hospital where I received rehabilitation. My hand was paralyzed still. I got an OT who trained my hand with me. I did exercises. I had a physiotherapist who tried to walk with me every day. I was extremely light and noise sensitive for the first year after my stroke. Hello, this is Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In the EU in 2017, there were 1.12 million stroke cases and an estimated 9 million stroke survivors. In the next 30 years, although it's expected the number of people living with stroke will increase by just over a quarter, deaths as a result of a stroke will decline by 17%. In this episode, we'll hear from Elizabeth Ripagutu from Cheyenne in Norway, who suffered a stroke at the age of 33. I was an active mom of two. I worked full time. I had several jobs. I was a teacher and I was very active in my free time. I sang in a choir. I worked out a lot and in general lived a very active life. I had felt a bit low on energy for the last couple of weeks before I had the stroke. I thought that maybe it was because I had kids that didn't sleep at night <laughs> and I was probably tired, I thought to myself. But that night of the stroke, I felt so low on energy 
and I felt sick. So my husband was supposed to go out with uh, a couple of friends that night, but I felt so bad that I asked him to stay at home. And I was very glad that I did that because a few hours later that night, I was in the bathroom and I suddenly felt like a pop in my head. And a tingling sensation all over my body and into my hands. And I realized that I couldn't suddenly feel my hands at all. And that was pretty scary. And I immediately <laughs> thought to myself, this isn't right. Something terrible is about to happen. And I went out to the bathroom and, and I called my husband. And he was uh, on his way downstairs because we have um, several floors in our house. And I tried to tell him what was going on, but I realized that I couldn't speak. And that was also a bit of a shock. I, I, I couldn't tell him what was going on. He thought at one point that maybe I had a panic attack or, or something, but I somehow managed to get him in the living room and signaled to him that I needed something to write on because I thought if I can't speak, maybe I can write. So I managed to get something to, to write on and I wrote hospital on a piece of paper. But before I was finished writing, you already was on the phone. They uh, sent an ambulance uh, straight away. When the um, staff in the ambulance picked me up, they made a call to the hospital. And we have a patient here that probably is a fast patient. As they said that to the hospital, I, I realized that I'm probably having a stroke. <laughs> when I got to the hospital, there was already a stroke team from, from the stroke unit was already in the ER. They got me this CT scan and they couldn't see any blood cloth on the image. They still decided to give me the, the blood thinning medication. They dissolved the blood cloth quite soon after they diagnosed it. But I still couldn't speak. I uh, was paralyzed in my face, throat and on my right side. I could walk barely, but that was it. So when I got the medication and they saw that uh, it was beginning to work, they said, you're going to be fine. At that moment, that meant that I was going to survive. And I was happy to hear that. But I didn't know exactly what that would mean for me after. Because one thing is surviving a stroke. Another thing is living with the aftermath after a stroke. But at that point, I was just happy that I would survive it. Elizabeth was in hospital for two and a half months. I was sent to, to the stroke unit at the hospital where I received rehabilitation. My hand was paralyzed still. I got an OT who trained my hand with me. I did exercises. I had a physiotherapist who tried to walk with me every day. I was extremely light and noise sens sensitive for the first year after my stroke. In the beginning, it was especially challenging because it was like the, the sensory filter in my brain just was gone and I couldn't filter anything out. So everything went in and I got these really bad headaches after just a few seconds of exposure to the world. I had to close my eyes and, and uh, just stay in a dark room most of the time. It was really, really challenging. From the very beginning, I had a severe fatigue, which I still haven't recovered from, even though it has got uh, gotten better over the years. 
I've come a long way, but I still have some challenges that I work on. Fatigue is the kind of tiredness that doesn't go away if you rest. You can rest and sleep as much as you want, but still the, the tiredness you get from fatigue doesn't go away. People experience fatigue in different ways. For me, it's more of a cognitive fatigue that when I do challenging cognitive tasks, for instance, organizing, being in the, in the grocery store, picking up groceries from the shelves, that is really challenging for me and that makes my brain tired. Other people experience fatigue um, more physically, that, uh, that they get physically tired from doing activities. But in general, fatigue is a state of being more or less tired uh, all the time. I usually say to, to people when I try to explain it, it's, it's just different degrees of being tired. I almost have forgot how it is to have excess energy <laughs> because I, I can't remember how it is not feeling fatigue. Elizabeth remained active after her stroke. As soon as I realized and was told that I was going to survive the stroke, I uh, decided there and then that this stroke isn't going to stop me. I need to do whatever I can to get my life back. That was my, my first thought and my first goal. I got a lot of help at the hospital in the beginning, but I was so fatigued that I, I didn't manage much. I could walk small five-minute walks, but that was it. And I, then I slept for hours. A year after my stroke, I got an um, PFO closure because I had an, uh, a hole in my heart that most likely has contributed to my stroke. After that, I saw a physiotherapist who really changed my recovery and introduced me to more high-intensity training. I was pretty active before I had a stroke, so, so I was quite familiar with exercising. So I felt, finally, I'm doing something for my health that is proven scientifically to, to help stroke survivors recover. So I saw my therapist in the beginning two times a week, only for 15 to, to 30 minutes sessions at a time. And gradually, we managed to, to build my, my strength and my cardio levels up. Today, I can live an active life. I owe it to exercise that I'm doing so well today. Coming up, Elizabeth talking about the ups and downs of recovery. Recovery is not an, uh, a linear process. I have had, in the beginning, I felt uh, really big progress in a few months. And after that, it sort of stopped a bit uh, and I reached a, a plateau. But now I feel that still progress is still happening, but at, at a slower pace. So I, I strongly believe, and, and, and uh, science also shows that, uh, research shows that, what you practice, you get better at. Tell them every day how much they mean to you, how proud you are of them and the progress they're making, even if they can't see it themselves. I think stroke survivors can 
often get into a really dark place mentally, at least I did. And it's so important to be reminded that you still matter, that they're proud of you, that they're proud of the progress you're making. Here, Elizabeth explains the wider impact that the stroke has had on the people around her. Strokes don't only happen to the person who gets the stroke. My kids were, uh, they were really young at the time. My youngest, today he doesn't remember much from my time in the hospital. He remembered the automatic bed (laughs) in the hospital. He thought that was quite fun. My oldest daughter, she um, was quite scared. And I remember my mother told me that she asked her if um, I was going to die. And that trauma, I think they they still carry with them in, in some way. But the real challenge is when you got get home from the hospital and, and you can't be a mother anymore. At least I felt that my role, I had the things I used to do my, with my kids, I could no longer do. And I remember particularly one time, Maybe a half a year uh, after I had a stroke, I was lying uh, on the couch, uh, with, which I did most of the time during the day and night. <laughs> My son asked me, and he was three and a half years old, Mom, can you play with me? And he was sitting on, on the floor with his little train. I said to him, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I can't play with you. I'm, I'm so tired. Mom is so tired. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, can you watch me play? And and I thought to myself, well, I can watch him. So I sat myself up on the couch and, and watched him play for a few minutes. And when you're used to being an active mom, that was really challenging. But it also shows that the kids can adapt to new situations. And, and he understood, even though I couldn't play with him, on the floor, I could at least watch him. And that that way we had a connection. Recovery is not an, a, a linear process. I have had, in the beginning, I felt a uh, really big progress in a few months. And after that, it sort of stopped a bit uh, and I reached a, a plateau. But now I feel that still Progress is still happening, but at, at a slower pace. So I, I strongly believe, and, and, and uh, science also shows that, uh, research shows that what you practice, you get better at. So I'm still practicing the skills that I've lost. Today, I try to uh, go back to work for a few hours a week for the last year, but I realize now that my fatigue and my challenges are still that big that I need to spend my energy differently and manage my my everyday life with with the kids. And maybe in the future, I can can go back to work. But right now, I, I focus on working out three to four times a week. I follow my kids to their activities. I'm so lucky that I can be a mom again. I can participate in most activities in the household at home. I get a lot of help from my husband, who is my rock. He is very supportive and and helping me around the house. And um, it takes a lot of um, perseverance in this process and keeping in mind that where I am today is not where I will be next year or in two years or in five years. 
there's still progress to be made. So I'm um, focusing on what I can do today and I'm trying to, to take one week at a time. Elizabeth thinks that if you can, you should try to assemble a supportive team around you. In the early stages of recovery, I was in so much pain. I lived almost hour by hour for the first six months. What I uh, would recommend Strokesfab is doing is get your team straight. You need physiotherapists, you need occupational therapists, you need your doctor. Build your team and uh, also make sure that you get support from your family in that matter. Secondly, I, I would also say it's really important to set realistic goals for your day. Focus on what you can do. Focus on uh, small progress. Set realistic goals for each day. For me, I practice being thankful uh, at the end of each day. I looked back on the day. What did I manage today? Even if it was just watching my kid play on the floor for five minutes, that was uh, something worth celebrating because that was progress. Find something positive in each day and be grateful for it. And also, if you can write down your progress, make a small diary or, or if you can make your husband or, or uh, someone in your house, household write the diary for you, then you can look back on your progress. Then you can see it, the progress over, over time. And when it comes to family uh, and advice for family members, don't be afraid of repeating yourself to the, uh, the stroke survivor. Tell them every day how much they mean to you, how proud you are of them and the progress they're making, even if they can't see it themselves. I think stroke survivors can often get into a really dark place mentally, at least I did. And it's so important to be reminded that you still matter, that they're proud of you, that they're proud of the progress you're making. Despite her healthy and active lifestyle, Elizabeth still suffered a serious stroke that put a temporary hold on her life. But thanks to a supportive circle of family, friends, therapists and doctors, she continues to make progress every day. Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories. It's important that we continue to spread the word. So if you can recommend the podcast to a couple of people, that would be great. And if you have time to rate and comment on the episodes you hear, that would also be much appreciated. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram, so please do get in touch. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. 
at Vesco Distributors, Inc.